Welcome to the Entrepreneur Podcast. If you're growing a brand around your nerdy passion, you can learn from business and marketing podcasts, or you can learn from nerds like you. This is the show built by bloggers, cosplayers, gamers, artists, and other entrepreneurs that are making the things you love. How's it going, entrepreneurs? Welcome to episode 69 of the Entrepreneur Podcast by Under the Capes. I'm your host, Tim, and I've got an awesome episode for you today. I'm speaking with Anya Combs, the director of games for Kickstarter. And she is in charge of making sure the, the games category at Kickstarter is healthy and, and helping a lot of those projects see success. And Kickstarter is a huge part of getting a lot of different projects off the ground, whether they're games or comics or uh, you know film projects. And I've spoken to a ton of people in a lot of different categories who have successfully launched Kickstarters. And... There's a lot of great advice out there, and a lot of the stuff I talk with Anya about, I I did not know, and I had a lot of incorrect misconceptions about the way Kickstarter works, and a few things that I assumed might work well for people on Kickstarter that, uh, that she was able to share that they found isn't really the case, so... This this uh, we we talk a lot of specifics about games as far as video games, board games, tabletop role playing, um, as that's her category. But I think a lot of the stuff we talk about is relevant across Kickstarter in general. And if you're considering kickstarting a project, or if you think it might be something you do well down the road, this is an extremely valuable episode for you and i think uh, i think you guys are really going to enjoy it so let's dive right on in so i'm now joined by anya combs from kickstarter anya thanks for joining me yeah thank you so much for having me yeah so can you tell me a little bit about how you got started in games outreach sure so so I have been in the games industry for about 12 years. Um, I got my start doing developer relations for a flash gaming website called addictinggames.com. Um, I, I did a lot at Addicting Games, uh, mostly focusing on developer relations and licensing and things like that. Um, and they closed our office down in, I believe, 2012. And so they gave me the opportunity to move out to New York because Addicting Games was owned by uh, Viacom under the Nickelodeon brand. So I essentially was working for Nickelodeon. So they moved me out to New York where I um, took a much larger role in running Addicting Games. Uh, and Addicting Games, Addicting Games was sold <clears throat> um, to Defy Media about a year and a half in. So I then took a sort of different role at Nickelodeon doing like content development and um, essentially like kind of acting as a publisher. Um, but I kind of realized like the, <laughs> the corporate life was not for me. So I found this just like job posting at Kickstarter uh, for a games outreach lead position. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. This sounds super interesting and definitely 
definitely something I want to do. And I applied and I got it. And I've been at Kickstarter just over four years. And now I am the director of games. Awesome. And yeah, um, as director of games, what are you primarily working with uh, game developers to do? Mm -hmm. So my job is essentially to really like make sure that the like health of the games category is um, as like good as it can be. Uh, So a lot of that is obviously working with game creators, um, video game creators, tabletop creators, LARP creators, um, anybody that is like interested in making a game, I'm happy to talk to you and definitely work with. Uh, so a lot of that is like a lot of emails, a lot of Skype calls and Google Hangouts and Discord chats and things like that, like a lot of communication. Um, I look at a lot of games projects and provide a lot of feedback, a lot of um, like helps and tips and tricks and things like that um, just to game creators who are interested in launching projects on the platform. Um, I also am taking a larger role in sort of some of our like Um, helping to kind of like run some of our events. We have an incredible events team at Kickstarter, but just sort of me saying, this is my weird vision. How do we make it happen? (laughs) Um, So stuff like that, which is really cool and interesting. Awesome. Yeah. And you have a lot of good resources on, on Kickstarter, but what are some of the, uh, the most successful ways you've seen people promote their Kickstarters or run them? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a lot of the success in terms of like the promotion for Kickstarter actually happens before the project launches. Uh, So a lot of that is like focusing on the community building before you launch, getting people excited. Um, Typically what we see on like our side at Kickstarter is roughly like a 30, 70 split. So we see that about 30 to 34% of the pledges that come in per project, especially in games um, will be within sort of the internal like Kickstarter ecosystem. So that includes things like people just sort of like organically finding projects, finding projects through like, you know, friends or um, other people that they follow on Kickstarter, things like that. Um, that also does include um, like any promotions that are on Kickstarter. So any sort of like newsletter features, front page placement, you know, anything that sort of um, elevates projects a little bit higher than if you were to just sort of find them on Kickstarter. That's roughly 30 to 34%. So you as a creator are essentially responsible to bring in like 65 to 70%. Um, so that's basically like the community building aspect. And so what I get a lot of questions about is, well, how do you really focus on that community building in terms of like building that like promotional stuff beforehand? Um, and so social media is, you know, obviously a big one. Twitter is huge. Everybody in the games industry is on Twitter. Uh uh, in addition to that, things like Discord, especially for video games. If you don't have a Discord, you should absolutely have a Discord. Uh, but the most, the one that we find to be the most um, surprisingly effective is actually mailing lists. So like individualized mailing lists. So like you as a, a solo creator, indie dev, or like you as an indie dev studio, um, having people kind of follow along through a newsletter to kind of see what you're doing. We find that that conversion is like pretty good. Yeah, and I'm sure making that, like getting your 65 to 70% strong kind of helps you get placed a little bit more on Kickstarter and help that 30% uh, people more find you on Kickstarter as, as your, your, like your network kind of starts off the, the ball rolling a little bit. Um, kind of. I mean, I would, I would just note that, like, so, 
So interesting to me that this is like one of the, there's a lot of misconceptions about Kickstarter. And like, this is one of the big ones is that there's like an algorithm that highlights projects. And the truth is that's actually not true at all. Projects are highlighted by um, individual people at Kickstarter. So we have a team in place that basically says, cool, what projects are interesting? Um, And that's for each category, right? So uh, they look at the, the full sort of like spectrum of what's on Kickstarter and they'll say, Oh, okay, this, you know, this publishing project looks really cool. And our publishing team will say like, yes, that's a, that's a great project. We're working with that creator. We're really excited about it. Um, And so the same goes for games where uh, you know, me as an outreach person um, and another, another teammate of mine, um, we say, Hey, these projects are great. We're really excited about them. How do, how are we able to highlight them? So it's all very individual, individualistic based versus just like, Oh, these people have a bunch of backers or, Oh, oh, they raised a bunch of money. We're going to give them a promotion. Um, We're more excited to kind of highlight the projects and the creators themselves than like, you know, projects that make a ton of money on Kickstarter. Wow, that's uh, yeah. I assumed as well that it was an algorithm. So that's that's really cool that you're mm-hmm. you're going in there and and finding the ones that are that are awesome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Absolutely. It, and I'm sure that a big part of it is just a game that seems cool. But is there like what do you look for specifically in their Kickstarter that might uh, might say to you like, oh, this is a really great project? Yeah. So I mean, a lot of it is like. Uh, I don't want to say it's straightforward, but a lot of it is like, did you put any effort into your project? (laughs) Right. So like if you just have like a paragraph and like a hand drawing, um, I mean, sometimes that's fine. It really does kind of depend on the project, but especially for like a video game in particular, like we kind of need to see a little bit more effort kind of like put into the project. Right. So you need to have a video and the first 30 seconds of your video absolutely needs to be gameplay. And then you need to kind of have like gifts and gameplay kind of scattered throughout the page. We want to see that like the time and energy that you're putting into your project, like that's the time and energy that we also want to put into to your project. Um, so if you come to us and you're like, I want a feature and it, there's like basically nothing on the page and it doesn't give us anything. It's kind of hard for us to really advocate for you as a creator, because if you're not putting the time into yourself, like why would, what's the reasoning behind us, us potentially putting that, that like energy into you. Yeah. And it seems a lot of the, the successful Kickstarters already have a lot of work done, whether it's, uh, you know, like you said, a gameplay demo, seems really important or like a lot of concept art or, like just mm-hmm. more than I- an idea. It really needs to be fleshed out and they have to have something mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. they can show people. Yeah. I mean, I think the days of just coming to Kickstarter with like a simplistic like game design document with just maybe some mock-ups and like, you know, no gameplay. I think those days are gone. Um, and I understand sort of the like resistance to that. But I would note that like, again, Kickstarter is 12 years old. Uh, I'm sorry, we're 11 years old. Um the platform itself has definitely matured and kind of grown up a little bit. And so the quality of projects has also matured and grown up a little bit. And so I think the backers are sort of, you know, setting the expectations of what it is that they want to see. Um, so the, again, the days of just having like a very bare bones, very minimalistic project, they're, they're not super common any longer. Um, so it does require a little bit more effort than maybe like, you know, when Kickstarter first started in 2009. Um, so having that gameplay, having that time, having that energy, having that like commitment and passion to the project is, 
is just a little bit more, uh, it's a little bit more important these days. Yeah. So what level of like, what stage of development do you think is the best time to, to bring a project to Kickstarter? Like, whereas uh, mm. clearly it's not day one. Yeah. Yeah, it's clearly not day one. So we'd say if you're about 50 to 70% of the way there, that's when you really want to start uh, bringing your project to Kickstarter. I would like, there's a lot of different factors that go into that though. And so some of the sort of like quote rules behind Kickstarter, they're not super hard and fast. Um, You can come to Kickstarter with a project that's about 30% done as long as you have gameplay that's like as close to what the project, the the final product is going to look like. If you have a large community of people that say, we believe in you, we know you can do this. If you come to Kickstarter and you're like 30% of the way done and you don't really have gameplay and you don't really have a community that's like, you know, excited and willing and like passionate behind you, it is just more of a difficult experience. Um, That doesn't necessarily mean that you need to be like, famous or well-known to bring a project to Kickstarter. It just means that you need to have like a significant amount of people that are sort of like excited to be on the journey with you to, to like be able to tell your story. Yeah. Cause especially with 70% of the, the backers coming from you, you can't, you really have to have a community already built up and have been showing them stuff mm-hmm. for the last six months or whatever it is. And, and Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's so many stories about the communities that people kind of build before they come to Kickstarter. I've heard of people like spending two years of doing community building. Um, and that's a lot of time and that's a lot of energy and that's a lot of resources that maybe are like taken away from game development. But I always sort of encourage people like, don't look at community building as taking away from game development, because if you look at it from like a very holistic point of view, the amount of time that you're spending doing that community building essentially is game development. Cause what happens when the game comes out? Well, if the game comes out and you don't have people that are like willing to like purchase it or like talk about it on day one, you came out with a game. That's great. But like, then what? Right. And so that game development time is sort of like building that audience. So building that audience to then come to Kickstarter and be able to kind of have that accolade of like, I have a successful Kickstarter. I overfunded, I, you know, I have all of this incredible stuff that's happened to me that just kind of continues that community, uh, like momentum for your project and your game. And that's good to start the community as early as possible to help inform the game, to make sure you're making something that your exactly. community actually wants to play. Exactly. Yeah. And the thing, the cool thing about that is like, you can always, you, you should absolutely stick to like what it is your vision of your game is, right? Like that, that should just kind of go without saying, you're like, this is my game. You know, I want to make a fighting game. And if your community is like, we want to match three games, it's like, well, hold on, <laughs> like kind of what's going on there. Um, but the community can kind of help shape your game a little bit too, especially people that are like super fans of what you're doing, right? Like if you look at it from the perspective of like, you know, I don't think every fan is necessarily a like creative director. Um, but I think it's totally okay to kind of listen to what people are saying and say like, cool, I'm totally internalizing what you're saying. It's really interesting. I would love to implement it. Let me see what I can do. Um, the more that people are heard, the more they're willing to kind of follow you and essentially evangelize you as a creator. Yeah. You don't necessarily have to crowdsource the, like the actual idea of the game, but knowing that those things are going yeah. into it a little bit and, and you're, you're 
creating something that you think your audience will like at least. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So if you assume you're going to kickstart your game and you're like on day one, Mm -hmm. what are the things you can start doing right away to kind of get yourself ready pre-launch to, to get ready for a campaign in the future? Yeah. Uh, number one, come talk to me. (laughs) Um, we basically tell people like the time to start talking to people at Kickstarter, like specifically myself and, um, uh, Michael Lieb, who's our, uh, European outreach person. So if you're in Europe, he's definitely the the right person to talk to. Um, the best time to start thinking about talking to us is as soon as you're like thinking of running a Kickstarter project. Um, and then from there you want to kind of like make sure you have your idea, like really kind of like fleshed out. Um, think about where you are in your development. So it, again, if you don't have 30 seconds of gameplay that you can show, you're not ready to launch a project yet. You absolutely need 30 seconds of gameplay. That does include tabletop games too. So you need to be kind of, you need to be able to explain what the game is pretty concisely. Um, <clears throat> from there, you want to think about your community building. Where are you with your community building? Do you have a community? Are you pushing that mailing list? What is your mailing list situation? Are you, I mean, in the current situation, uh, are you planning any events, uh, which all in-person events essentially have been canceled as of right now. Um, but what are your sort of virtual events? Like, are you, are you doing any sort of virtual GDC things? Are you doing any virtual E3 things? Like, how are you planning to really kind of get your name and your game out there within the community? Um, and then from there, I always like, I always encourage people to start building a Kickstarter project under the like guys that you're going to launch the project. Um, I don't, I think it's kind of unfair to say like, if you have created your Kickstarter uh, project, then you need to launch it. I think it actually ends up highlighting a lot of things that maybe you need to think about um, before you're ready to launch. And so creating that sort of like Kickstarter project before you are even like a hundred percent confirmed that you're going to launch a project just sort of helps highlight a lot of things that you maybe need to do, or it does confirm like, I don't want to do this, or I do want to do this. There's no like demerit or like, you know, negative thing that happens if you like go through the process of creating a Kickstarter project and don't launch. It doesn't like upset anybody, at least on the Kickstarter side of things. Like I'd rather people have it. And if they can use it that's great then scramble to create something that's just like kind of half-baked yeah because it can even be just like a checklist of things that you need before you start showing the or asking for money basically you probably want to already show it a little bit to customers exactly but like before it's yeah before it's ready mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely 100 percent. and yeah when when things go back to normal, those in-person events are probably a really good way to start growing the community. Um, what are what are some of the best ways? Mm-hmm. Is it is it going to a lot of conventions? Is it on social media and Discord? What are what are the best community building methods? So yeah, I I think it's more of a combination because um, I think the thing with events is that we do kind of have to look at it from the perspective of like events are not accessible or reality for everybody. Um, there's financial constraints, there's family constraints, there's, uh, ability constraints, right? Like, I don't think it's not as simple. Everybody can't just get on an airplane and fly somewhere, right? Like it's unfortunately not that simplistic. Um, so if you're not able to attend the events that people are, you know, that like the whole games industry is going to, if if that's a PAX or an E3 or a GDC, 
I think being in tune with what's going on through social media is a good sort of like alternative option. And so what a lot of people that a lot of publishers do this too, that they, they kind of acknowledge and understand that not everybody's able to attend, you know, GDC in particular, which is like, it's, it's just crazy expensive and it's getting like more expensive every year, not just the actual conference, but just like, the accommodations in San Francisco are so astronomically high. So they'll put calls out on Twitter that say like, Hey, people who are not able to attend GDC, you know, show me your game. What are you working on? So being able to kind of participate in those opportunities on things like Twitter or Facebook or discord or wherever the community is, um, I think that's kind of a good way to kind of like counteract any sort of like, con FOMO that you might be feeling <laughs> um, and just participate in the conversation. Yeah. Cause I've even seen you do that uh, this week with GDC not happening. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of like there's still a conversation around it. So whether it's, I mean, ideally that you're joining conversations of conventions actually going on, but it seems like there's, there's always a conversation to join. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's just sort of following what those conversations are. And like, even if you're not at GDC, it's so hard to tell sometimes who isn't and isn't at GDC. Like, you don't have to be like, I'm not at GDC. I don't know. But if you like want to participate in the conversation, like continue to do so. That's great. You should absolutely do that. Yeah. Awesome. Um, And yeah, that seems like a great place to get in front of press and influencers and, and get your game noticed that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's kind of a it's kind of a two prong thing there in the sense that for Kickstarter specifically, what we've actually found is press influencers, streamers, YouTubers, all of that. Um, if you can get their attention, that's great, and we would never discourage anyone from doing so. But if it's about the funding of the Kickstarter. Unfortunately, those avenues don't really have much of an impact. Um, there's always sort of like a, a a project that takes off because like Rock, Paper, Shotgun or Polygon or I don't know, Kotaku, whoever, like writes a really positive article. Um, and so every once in a while, there might be like a larger number of pledges than we've seen before. But the reality is the majority of these projects, like, they're most likely not going to get that attention from those specific communities. Um, And if they do, it's such a small amount that it's just kind of like, man, I put all this effort into, you know, reaching out to all this press and I'm not really sure what the return is. Um, Again, we're not discouraging anyone from uh, pursuing press or bloggers or influencers or streamers or any of that. I just think it's important to note that like, it's not a situation where just because someone has like a million subscribers that, all the, you know, those million people are one going to see whatever that video is and two going to go back to that Kickstarter project. And as kind of making it intriguing for press, it's probably a little bit tougher. Like it's not as newsworthy to just say, I have a Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a couple different reasons as to why that is. Um, I think that like, you know, when we're talking about 2014, 2015, when like press and Kickstarter were just like the best friends. There were so many like niche, cool, like uh, sort of 
um, retrospective projects that were happening and they definitely still are, but I think there were so many in 2015 that the number just kind of continuously increased. And so press just kind of got to a point where they're like, we can't continue to write about the same project. We can't continue to write about Kickstarter. Um, and I think that's totally fair. Um, I think that's a, an absolutely like fair perspective. Um, and so to get an article in the press about your Kickstarter project, it has to be pretty exceptional or you really have to know someone that's willing to write about it. So that could be something that you do after you've already kind of met your goals and you're hitting stretch goals or is there some way that that fits into mm-hmm. kind of your, your middle of the campaign strategy? I don't think it fits into the middle. I think it's the post campaign strategy. So I think it's, I have a successful Kickstarter and I'm coming out with it, or I have a successful Kickstarter. I raised a million dollars, you know, uh, I have a Kickstarter and now I'm being published by, you know, raw fury or devolver or whoever. I think it's a lot of it is kind of post. I think it's sort of the pre is community. The during is definitely community. And the post is sort of like community plus. Yeah, because at that point, it's kind of your your valuation. You can say, you know, on Kickstarter, it raised this amount of money, and it kind of, if that's a good number, it, it might open some doors or raise some eyes a little bit. Exactly, exactly. And yeah, you mentioned uh, during the Kickstarter, community is the big key. What are what are some of the, the best mm-hmm. uh, ways people uh, kind of keep their campaign going uh, in the Yeah, so... I guess it's it's uh, <laughs> I guess it's important to note that uh, every project kind of goes through a cycle, and so the first like forty eight hours, you'll see a huge spike in pledges. Right? It's like project just launched, everyone's really excited. You're emailing all your friends, your family, and your community. So the first forty eight hours, you'll see like a huge um, amount of activity. What happens after that is about two weeks of project plateau. And it's scary and it's anxiety inducing and you have a very low amount of pledges generally. Again, this is not like a every single project, but I would say the vast majority of projects experience this. Um, and that plateau can be anywhere from, let's say you get $20 every single day to you go like three days without even getting a pledge. And it's really stressful. But what ends up happening is the last three days or the last two days, uh, they tend to mirror the first days so that project plateau kind of time like that's when you really want to be like pushing to your community to like get them to kind of reach out to their own community and so this is why we typically recommend that you update every other day on Kickstarter like post an update every other day doesn't have to be like pages upon pages of like dissertations or anything like that it can be something as simple as like thanks everybody for backing and that's an update but it basically shows like hey we as the creator are still a part of this with you yeah that seems like another reason why it's good that uh, it's good to be kind of along the process where you have a lot of stuff that you can share throughout the campaign and have things that you can update every couple Mm -hmm. days Yeah. So we recommend that you have your like first uh, half of your updates just kind of ready to go just in case. Um, What's going to happen most likely is that like things kind of happen throughout the campaign. So if you're like, oh, you know, suddenly we're getting all these questions about this thing. Let's let's make sure we devote an update to that. Um, You can kind of shuffle around and say like, well, we still have like three other updates that we're able to send post to that whatever update. Um, So just kind of having updates in your back pocket, you can kind of like shuffle them around and just have them like, you know, as like uh, backup options. 
And is there anything in particular that work well with those updates, or is that kind of project dependent? With as sorry, far as like things that you can update your backers with, or, or your prospective backers oh, with the campaign. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think generally people just kind of want to know what's going on and see what's happening. Right. And so if it's like, oh, we're going to PAX, like, what are you doing at PAX? That sounds great. Um, Where are you with your development? Where are you with your art? Where are you with, you know, coding? Like, whatever it is, people just kind of want to see that you're putting the effort in um, to, like, make the game. Yeah. And you touched on that seems like a good the timing of the campaign, if it can coincide with like a major event or something to help you boost it a little bit um well i mean it kind of depends and so that's kind of where things get really interesting so we actually so we see that what happens is uh major u.s holidays even if you're not a u.s based creator but major u.s holidays tend to be a really bad time to launch a project um you know uh, memorial day Fourth of July, Labor Day, things like that. Um, I think there's a misconception that people are like, oh, it's the holidays. Everyone's at their computer. But like, I know for me, at least I'm like probably out with my friends or my family. So I'm not really at my computer and I'm not really like checking my phone that much just because it's like, oh, it's a it's a vacation, essentially. Um, So like the time of year is really important. In terms of launching um, over like an event, like again, like a GDC, an E3 or a PAX, I generally don't recommend that um, if you are a first time creator, just because the announcement of your Kickstarter regardless is most likely going to be just kind of like buried under whatever bigger announcements are happening at those events. And that's not indicative of like you as a creator. That's just like, that's just kind of the nature of the beast with those big events. Um, So I generally recommend again, especially if you're a first time creator, um, you want to use those events as a marketing opportunity. And so those are the times where you want to show your game to press, where you want to show your game to potential publishers. You want to be able to just show your game showcases, like wherever where you can get the game shown and use that opportunity to grow that mailing list and remind people, Hey, once this event is over, my Kickstarter is going to be live. Yep. That's a good point as far as, especially like not only are, is there so much news coming out of the conventions, but again, people aren't really at their computers during them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. And yeah, that's a good, like, potential mistake people might make is is the timing of their campaign are there any other mistakes that you see uh with people launching the kickstarters yeah i see people that are um there's a couple things one people that are are just not ready right they're like i have to launch on this day and i understand that mentality and i understand that frustration i understand that anxiety but the thing is if you're not ready like delaying is just generally going to be better um, there's also this tactic that we just don't recommend and I'll explain why I under, I totally understand why people do this, but it's very, very bad. So if you know that you need $50,000 to, uh, finish the game that you want to make, it's like your dream game and you're super excited about it. And $50,000 is what you need. What we see people do is they'll ask for th- something like 35 in anticipation of getting 50 and they'll roll things out through stretch goals and be like, well, it'll get us up to 50. But the problem is if you know you need a larger amount of money and you ask for less, 
if you only make that less amount, you still have to make a game on that $35,000 budget without that additional 20K. So it's better to do sort of that like pre-work and that pre sort of commitment to that community building and getting people excited about it. So you can launch at the goal that you know that you actually need. Yeah, it's better to fail on Kickstarter than to succeed and then fail to actually deliver the product. Yeah, I mean, here's the other thing, though. Like, I I don't believe that there's anything like a failed... I, I just don't believe in this word failure for Kickstarter. I think you only fail on Kickstarter if you haven't learned anything. Um, if you have a project that doesn't fund, like, that's literally all it means. It's just a project that didn't fund. It's not a failed Kickstarter. Um, I say that for a handful of different reasons, but the two biggest ones are you can always relaunch on Kickstarter. It's totally okay. You don't get like a demerit for having to like relaunch or anything like that. Um, the community doesn't really care. And we at Kickstarter definitely are like, it's fine if you don't fund your first time around. You probably are going to learn more <laughs> if you like don't fund that your first time around. Um, so never look at, at it as failure. But the secondary thing that I see and what I think is the most compelling reason to not look at it as a failure is we have seen projects that didn't fund their first time around and then they got picked up by a publisher because the publishers were like, this, this is great and we believe in it. And for whatever reason, it wasn't hitting the community. But the publishers are able to use their community to kind of like drive sales and get more people excited about the games. Um, we've also seen people like meet an artist that really helped kind of elevate their project a little bit more, or they met a coder or they met a community manager, or they were like, they got a little bit uh, more involved in the larger games community. So I, again, I don't, I think looking at uh, projects that don't fund as failures, I think it's a little bit of a like disservice to those projects in a way. Yeah. Cause it's also a community building tool where even if you, mm -hmm. you don't fully fund your project, you're coming out of it with a larger community. And like you said, a lot of new potential, uh, you know, networks and resources that you can bring into the next project. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the, the like reality is like, if you are excited and you've backed a Kickstarter project and you're a fan of someone's work, you're probably going to follow them for a while. Yep, exactly. Well, this has been great, Anya. Do you have one final piece of advice for someone just starting out building a geek brand? <laughs> building a geek brand. You know, I think there's so many geek brands that I think you just really need to know like what separates you from everyone else. What's your thing that makes you unique? Yep, absolutely. Um, well, yeah, this is this has been awesome on you. Um, where should people go to uh, reach cool. out to you if they have a project that they're looking for help with and, and follow you and learn a little bit more about your work? Yeah, uh, so you can reach out to me directly at Anya, A-N-Y-A, at kickstarter.com or games at kickstarter.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter because all the entire games industry is on Twitter. My Twitter is A-N-Y-A-Y-N-A. Awesome. Well, yeah, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you. This was great. There you have it, guys. My talk with Anya from Kickstarter. I got a ton out of this episode, um, learning more about internally how Kickstarter works as far as featured projects and a lot of the things they've found work for people on Kickstarter is extremely valuable. I think the 
best advice or the the most important advice that she shared was the timing of your campaign so basically the if the biggest takeaway you could take from this is if you're ever thinking that you might kickstart something or um, you you know you want to kickstart your current project you want to plan things out as far in advance as possible and you want to involve kickstarter as far in advance as possible and involve anya um, because they they are extremely helpful in providing guidance and and making sure your project has the best chance of success and um, you can reach out directly to anya at anya at kickstarter.com you can follow her on twitter at anya y-n-a and yeah i i will include links to all of that in the show notes at underthecapes.com slash episode 69 and if you guys got something out of this episode i'd i'd really love if you could leave a rating and review on itunes or wherever you happen to be listening from that helps out a ton and until next time guys um i hope you got something out of this i hope you learned something and i will talk to you again very soon thanks so much for listening to the entrepreneur podcast by under the capes i hope this episode has helped motivate you to either start or grow your geek brands if you like the episode i would love if you could give us a rating and a review on itunes stitcher or wherever you happen to be listening from and feel free to connect with us on social media on twitter at under the caves on facebook at under the caves and on instagram at under the caves cosplay thanks so much and have a great day